0: What is up doll fans and welcome to the finn sports football podcast i'm your host anthony john deletti and today on the podcast we have a very 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 special guest who i'm about to introduce here in just a second um but before that hope you guys are doing well if it's your first time listening welcome glad to have you here if it's not your first time listening welcome back and today on the podcast i am extremely happy uh to say that richmond webb Former legendary Dolphins offensive tackle is joining us here on the Fin Sports Football Podcast. If you're not sure who Richmond Webb is, uh, if you're a Dolphins fan, I highly encourage you to go, you know, research who he is. He is, for my money, the best Dolphins offensive tackle uh, in franchise history. Just sharing some notable uh, stats and highlights throughout his career. He played for the Dolphins from 1990 to 2000. Uh, had a short stint with the Cincinnati Bengals. He was the AFL-AFC Rookie of the Year, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, part of the NFL 1990s All-Decade team, Miami Dolphins on a roll, set franchise records for having 118 consecutive starts and seven consecutive Pro Bowls, played with guys like Dan Marino, Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, um, you know OJ McDuffie, uh, Sam Madison, the list goes on. He also played uh, under Don Shula, the late great Don Shula, as well as Jimmy Johnson and Dave Wannstedt. So the dude was just surrounded by greatness his entire time here in Miami, and it is my extreme privilege and honor uh, to have him on the podcast. So I'll be sharing the interview that I did with him. So sit back, uh, relax, and enjoy my interview with Dolphins' great offensive tackle, Richmond Webb. Okay, guys, so I am joined now by great Dolphins offensive tackle, Richmond Webb. Richmond, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today?
1: Good, Anthony. How are you doing today?
0: You know, I can't complain, can't complain. Um, you know, to to be talking, by the way, to, to any Dolphins player uh, is an absolute uh, privilege, but let alone someone to your caliber who played an extremely high level. I was I – was, you know, recording something before this and was just going on about all the accomplishments you had in the NFL. You played 11 seasons with Miami. You set team records for 118 consecutive starts, seven consecutive Pro Bowls. Uh, You were the AFL AFC rookie of the year, seven time Pro Bowler, two time first team All-Pro, two time second team All-Pro, 1990s All-Decade team, Miami Dolphins honor roll, you played with Don Shula, Jimmy Johnson, I believe Dave Wanstat uh, for a year. Um, you, you protected Dan Marino basically your entire career. Just wanted to get your thoughts on, like, what was your time like in the NFL uh, playing, obviously, with a bunch of great guys? What was it like for you?
1: It was good. You know, uh, the Dolphins were known as, uh, when, I, when I was there, one of the, I think the winning franchise in sports history, regardless of football, basketball, um, baseball, hockey, you name it. So, um, you know, being able to play for an organization like that and then playing for a Hall of Fame coach like, you know, Don Shula, you know, legendary, you know, and was able to experience him become the winner's coach in the NFL at the time. And then, like you said, playing with guys like Dan Marino, Clayton Duper, and then later on, you know, Jason Taylor, um, Zach Thomas, Tim Bowens, and, I can go on and on, but just great teammates. Um, I, I had a wonderful time and got to live out of a childhood dream, you know, actually getting that opportunity to play in the NFL. So um, I'm just thankful for that opportunity, but I had a great time.
0: Right. And obviously not only a great time, but, you know, as I said, uh, a phenomenal career and, you know, I wanted to ask, what was it like? I, Cause your responsibility, right. Is left tackle. Uh, you had to protect, Dan Marino, who many considered to be the greatest Dolphins quarterback of all time. What was that like for your entirety of your career where, you know, coming into the NFL right away, your job is, hey, you see that guy over there, number 13? It's your job now to protect him and make sure he goes untouched, as well as all the guys that played on the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, it was a huge magnifying glass on me and Keith Sam's because. We both came in as rookies together, and then um, Coach Hula made the decision to put us side-by-side and side-by-side on Dan Marino's um, blind side. So to be entrusted with that, um, you know, comes great responsibility. But, you know, my, my thing was, my motivation was, you know, I don't want to be the guy <clears throat> that that's being remembered as getting a guy like this, you know, hurt because um, he was already a legend, you know, I think Dan was in his eighth year when me and Keith got there. So he was already a legend and, um, you know, we, we already knew who he was. He didn't need any introduction or anything. And uh, when you think of South Florida, the two of the names that first come to mind is Dan Marino and, you know, Don Shu was told. Um, I, my motivation was I don't want to be to get, the, you know, be the guy to get this guy hurt because I knew how valuable and important he was not only to Miami, but South Florida and the whole state of Florida in general, just because of all the accomplishments he had uh, accomplished before we got there.
0: Right. And I was wondering too, so as an offensive tackle, I hope you don't mind, but I looked up, you know, just like contracts uh, of what it was like back in the day versus, you know, nowadays, when you first came to the NFL, I think a rookie contract for an offensive tackle, and obviously you were like very highly coveted. You're a phenomenal offensive tackle coming out. Uh, An offensive tackle contract was about five years, 3.7 mil. And then you got paid as the highest offensive tackle in the NFL. I think after your fourth year, you know, after your uh, rookie contract, you were getting paid. I think you had a rookie contract as the highest paid uh, or not rookie contract. You had a normal contract as the highest paid offensive lineman in the league at 3 million or three years, 8.1 mil. And I wanted to ask you as someone who played the position at a high level What does it mean for you to see guys now in the NFL at the position you played, um, you know, at such a valuable position, uh, getting paid more, being really respected and valued? um, And also, was it like that in your day? Obviously, the money would not have been the same, but during your time in the NFL, was that how offensive linemen were viewed, especially left tackle, to that highly coveted of a position position? Um, Just, you know, what does it mean to you to see guys like that getting money?
1: Yeah, I I think it started to evolve. Um, You know, when I came in, two of the tackles that I looked up to was uh, Anthony Munoz and uh, Jackie Slater. Jackie played on the right. But um, he was definitely one of the best tackles in the game. But um, when I came in the league, you know, I think 92 is when free agency first started. So we knew the money was going to get bigger and better. So. Um, I just look at it that, you know, guys like Anthony Munoz and the guys that came before me helped pave the way to push it mm-hmm. to where players to have free agency. And I got to experience the early part of it, but I'm, I'm happy for the guys now that they're actually getting the type of money that um, they're getting now and, and hopefully it continues to increase. But um, I don't have any animosity or whatever. It's just, you know, that's the time I played in. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was... You know, you just deal with the hand you dealt, but uh, just truly happy for these guys. And um, it's definitely a, a lot more importance, I think, now paid to offensive line versus uh, it's really come to the forefront. as just one of the key positions or one of your cornerstone positions in the NFL. So I'm glad to see that happen.
0: Yeah, me me too. And, and speaking of offensive line, let's transition now to the current Dolphins offensive line. And obviously you, uh, would know way more than me or probably anyone listening to this about what it takes to play offensive uh, linemen, especially tackle in the NFL. So just wanted to get your thoughts um, on the current offensive line. The Dolphins have obviously a lot of young guys, uh, guys returning from last year, Jackson being left tackle, uh, drafted in the first round last year. You got guys like Hunt and Kinley uh, staying and then two new guys with, you know, Matt Skura, Uh, being hopefully maybe possibly starting center and then a guy like Liam Eichenberg that just got drafted this year in the second round so what are your thoughts on how the Dolphins have addressed the offensive line uh, and how guys played uh, in their first season
1: yeah I think coach coach Greer I mean coach Flores and and Chris Greer the general manager they've done a tremendous job I mean they broke this this team down and, and started at the core and um, every year, they've done a good job adding key free agents and adding uh, what we need, or addressing certain needs that we definitely need to fulfill in the draft. So, like you said, uh, last year we had um, Jackson, you know, Kenley Hunt. Those are some of the guys. with we probably got one of the youngest offensive lines as a group overall. But then to come out this offseason, um, I think we signed Mascara, DJ Fluker. Um, and Liam Eichenberg, you know, that was a great addition because we. I think he'll probably end up being the, the right tackle, but um, even with Scurry, you got a guy that was drafted, Michael Deere. I think they're creating competition, so whoever wants to get those starting five positions are really going to have to work hard. It's not like it's going to be just a cakewalk where you just pencil the guy and say, well, I'm the starter. So um, they're they're creating competition at each position and all that's going to do is help guys get better, work harder, and we'll get a better product on the field. So they should have more experience than they had last year. You know, COVID, you know, no offseason, no OTAs, no mini camps, no training camp. So those guys were kind of just throwing the fire uh, for 2020. But I thought they, they did pretty good. But I expect them to really build on that foundation they built last year and continue to improve this year.
0: Right. And I was wondering if you could because because this is something that I'm curious about, and I'm sure a bunch of viewers are, as someone who, you know, played in the NFL, how how big of an impact, especially when you talk about offensive line, like how big of an impact does chemistry have? Because I say this all the time when I when I talk about you know the Dolphins' current offensive line, like it's not one of those positions, especially where it's just like let's just get five guys. They may have never played together. They just got drafted. They're going to go out there and they're going to be the best that have ever done it. Like it takes time to me. And I'm curious, your thoughts, if it is true, Um, like, doesn't it take time on an offensive line to just build that chemistry with the guys to like know what they're doing without them even having to say it. Uh, So wouldn't that in turn, just naturally, you would expect these guys like Jackson Hunt and Kinley to get better in year two playing with each other? Yeah. You
1: expect them. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's a mindset and it's, a, it's a, a will that you want to become a better player than you were the year before. And i just say, Oh, I played pretty good last year. So this year should be a breeze. But um, like you said, with the offensive line, those five guys typically work together as one unit and normally, especially if you play side by side with a guy. So with, um, Offensive line, you definitely got to have chemistry, but you got to have communication and the better you communicate and everybody gets an understanding of what that guy does and you can trust the guy that you're playing against, then that gives you confidence and it gives the group as a whole confidence and the better your offensive line is typically the better your offense is going to be. Everything starts up front, so uh, if we make leaps and bounds in the offensive line, it's going to definitely pay dividends in our offense.
0: Yeah, and I, I I talk about that a lot with the running game. You know, a lot of people, the, the easiest thing when talking about running game is, hey, let's go out there, let's get the best running back we can. And and my argument is, look, we got to start with the offensive line. When they themselves, like when we feel good about the offensive line, when they're moving guys, you know, against their will, that's when I'll feel comfortable to where, hey, you can utilize a running back to the best of their ability. But until that point, again, you got to start with the offensive line, not just with the running game, but really everything in your offense. It has to start up there because if they're not playing to the best of their ability, the offense is not going to be playing to the best of its ability.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and like you say, whether it's run or pass, um, you have to have time to let the play develop. And even as a quarterback, when you're dropping back and it's, you know, Three-step is quicker, but if you're doing five, seven-step drop, you got to let the play develop because typically there are longer routes. So you got to hold your blocks longer to let the plays develop and give the quarterback time to go through his progressions, read the defense, and get the ball out. So um, we do need players at skill positions, this and that. They do make impact as well, but the better your offensive line is, typically the better those guys' numbers and stuff are going to look as well.
0: Right. And we talked, uh, as I mentioned, you played in the NFL, um, 12 years, 11 them, I right? Correct. Right. 12 years. You played in the NFL. 13, 13, you 13 years in the both NFL. Both yeah. Got you. Okay. So you played 13 years in the NFL. And so we talked about offensive line, but really this goes for any position. How long in your opinion, does it take, you know, on average, obviously every situation is different, but how long does it take for an NFL player? Once you're drafted, to fully get like accustomed to the NFL, the speed of the game, because I mean, we live in nowadays, we live in that microwave society where it's like, you know, people judging players after like five games where for you as a player, you saw a lot of guys come in and out you yourself played for a, a long time. How long does it take like a player usually to fully get like accustomed to the NFL to where they can go out there on any given Sunday and play to the best of their ability without having to worry about the adjustment?
1: Well, I, I think it's, it's a, a few variables that go into that. And especially as a rookie, uh, one of the key things that I truly believe being a rookie and I understand it's a business side to it or whatever, but if you can get your, um, your rookie class signed early and get them in a the training camp, that helps speed up the process because like you said, you do got to adjust to the speed of the game. It's not that. But <clears throat> once you sign it, the quicker you sign the contract, the quicker you can get in, learn the offensive defense or whatever it is. And then, you know, the installation period during training camp is, you know, we would install in the morning, new plays in the evening, and the next day. So they continue to add to it. So um, it's long, it's a long grind. It's a hard bit. Once you can learn the offense to where you can just react and you don't have to think about, okay, do I go left? Do I go right? Is this a pass? Any type of uncertainty or you're not for sure about what you're doing is going to cause a lack in production or or hesitation because you're thinking you're not just reacting to what's going on, but when you actually know what you're supposed to do on a certain play, this and that, blah, 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 you can just go out. Normally, that's when you see um, the production go, especially for rookies. But the main thing I would say is get in training camp because you see a lot of guys that come in and hold out, say, half the, of the time or sign right when the season starts where they've missed everything. And a lot of people say, oh, he's a buzz. He really didn't do this and that. And, and that's not necessarily the case. There's other factors that go in there. And like I said, I understand some teams negotiate hard. Or, you know, takes a while to get in there. It just depends on the player of Sometimes, you know, if you get an agent that's not willing to really negotiate, it's not always a team, but um, it could be somebody that's just really just, you know, makes things difficult. It could be on either side, but but that is one of the factors. And then coming in, learning, some people, it's just like anything. Some people grasp things quicker than others, but when you got time, you got to put the time in, not just on the field, not in the meeting rooms. If you need to spend extra time to understand it, that's what you got to do. So it just depends on uh, your mental and how quick and how how hard you want to push yourself to become, you know, one of the best players at your position. And, and a lot of time it could be due to injury. You could have everything and then you have an injury, and you know that sets you back. So there's many factors, but the, one of the things I always tell people, especially with rookies and stuff get your rookie signed early because then that way you get them in from day one and then they, they start learning the offense and the quicker they adjust to that, you know, they can adjust to the speed of the game, but but I think that's the most important thing right there.
0: Right. And certainly, obviously, you know, as you said, it's, it's different for every player. I mean, you see guys come in that, you know, right off the bat, they just play well for whatever reason it may be, whether it's, you know, mental, what they're putting into it. And then you see some guys were like, it takes a little longer. You see, I mean, Mike Kosicki, right? You, Mike Sick. you look at his first year. A lot of people were like disappointed and he's gotten better, a lot better every single year. You look at guys, you know, not on the dolphins, you look at Josh Allen, right? Quarterback in our division. It, it took him three years to get to what, you know, the bills wanted him to be. So I just tell people all the time, you know, we're not players. I don't know, you know, what goes into playing in the NFL, but I just like to give, these players, you know, more time than just, you know, the guy we'll talk about next with Tua, more than, you know, nine games to to make a decision. Like let's let them actually get adjusted to the NFL, you know, however long it may take them. It's not always just going to be, you know, by the start of the season, they're ready to go their first year.
1: No, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I think that's the thing is fans is like you said, even with the Gasecki, the second, you know, he wasn't a first-round pick, and a lot of times, even though you get drafted, um, the lower you get drafted, normally your skill set is going to take more time to develop to get you where you need to be. So everybody is not just polished and ready to go as soon as they come out of college. A lot of guys can look at it and say, okay, he still has some upside or potential to continue to get better. He just needs time to work, and this and, that. and that's why, like you said, you've seen second get better you know, each year, and, and that's what the team looks at. They, they they evaluate, they look at the production, they look at, you know, where he started at and how they feel he finished up uh, as far as production. Is he getting better or is he just basically flatlined and saying, okay, he's not really getting any better. So once you flatline, it's like you basically reach a peak and over time, eventually, your, your, your production is going to start to decline because age and all that sets in. So You're right. It's not just a given formula for everybody. It just depends on the player, the talent, the skill level, how developed that player is, and if he continues to improve year in year out. So you're exactly right.
0: And and I I do have a two question just a little. I don't want to spend too much time because I feel like that's the main thing everyone talks about. Um, But I do want to talk about him in just a second. But before I get there, staying on this subject, you know, there's a lot of people in the media that say. Uh, you know if you're an NFL player or an NFL teammate you can tell whether a guy is going to be you know very good or not in the NFL after two practices is that true like as a player when you were seeing guys come in and out were you like after two practices yeah this guy's going to be a bust or not or did you have to wait until you know whether it's a year in or you watch them actually play in games and not just practice
1: yeah you know, even in college, you know, you got guys that look really good in practice and you put them in the game and you'd be like, it's a totally different animal. But a lot of times you can't tell if a guy is really good or whatever. You, you'll see flashes of, but I don't know if it's two practices, but you'll see it pretty early. And then what you look to see is that going to transition once um, he's playing against somebody else in the game other than practicing teammates because in practice, you, you know, you got limitations, you're not always going, you know, all out, this and that. You know, you know you can't hit the quarterback or this and that. You're not going to just beat up on your teammates. So, you know, that's something. But, but normally if a guy show signs of being being pretty good, um, you do see that early on.
0: Right, like you can just tell, like, when they're there, you're like, yeah, this guy's a – you know, obviously you have to wait. You're cautiously optimistic is what they say. But, I mean, you typically if – if a guy's going to pop on field, you can tell in practice, like, yeah, this guy's – This guy's got something.
1: Yeah, this guy's got something. And then then the other thing I tell people too is a lot of times you can go to a team or be put in a situation that – and this is where I think good coaches come in. You find out what's that player's strength and weaknesses and you try to put him in more positions to, to excel at what his strengths are and design whatever he does well, you figure that out. And you can always add to the things that are not weaker, but you give him plays because that's going to make him feel more comfortable this and that, and it gives him a greater chance of success. But if you just say, well, this is the offense or this is defense, this is how we play this and that. And, you know, well, this guy doesn't really do well with, say, a certain pass player or rolling out or a running back that he really is more in between the tackles versus running outside um, or – you have a guy that's, that's a lineman that's not real athletic and you study asking him to pool, but you know he's not real, uh, have real great agility and stuff like that. Some of that stuff comes over time, but you try to figure out what that guy does best and put him in that situation where he can you can maximize on his strengths and then continue to build on his weak, weakness until he become um, a total player. So that, that's the way I, I always like look at it. But a lot of times, players get thrown in the system and it doesn't really fit their style of game or whatever. And then they'll say, Oh, he's a bust." this and that. And then sometimes you'll see that same player go to another team and then excel and, it, and fans will say, well, why he couldn't do that when he was here with us or whatever. But that's, that's some of the things Sometimes that it, it might not be that team. Sometimes you got to move or get together. And if, if a coach understands, okay, well, I know what, what I need to do with him to, to, to make him success. That's the key right there. That's when, you know, you know, that's what you want to see.
0: And I think that's something, you know, that I think personally that this coaching staff does. I look at a guy like Eric Rowe, right? Eric Rowe, they brought him in. And I think Brian Flores said it was uh, uh, one of the DB coaches was like, Hey, I think Eric Rowe, you know, we have met corner. That's what he's played. But I think we should move him to that safety role where, You know, he's basically a cornerback that's covering the tight ends most of the time. And, you know, he goes out last year and has he basically blankets all the tight ends he played against, except Darren Waller, who he blanketed him in coverage. It's just, there's only so much you could do against Darren Waller and then Travis Kelsey. But, you know, that's what happens What you go against greats that you expect them to be great. But I just look at that with the coaching staff. Maybe the same thing might happen with Robert Hunt. We've heard you know, rumors that they're moving him inside to guard. Um, I completely agree, and I think that's what good coaching staffs do. I mean, if you're going to invest in a guy in the draft or free agency, why not utilize him to the best of his ability? Maybe it, not, it might not be in the position that most people think, but let's try to put him in a position where he's going to succeed. Uh, and I think that's something that this coaching staff uh, has done well for the last two years under Brian Flores.
1: Uh, no question. Uh, you know, the thing I tell people about um, Coach Flores is, you know, you kind of look back over his resume. You know, he was once a scout and then transitioned into coaching. So he evaluates players from a scouting perfect, uh, perspective and also from a coaching perspective. And Ed Rowe is a great example. You know, you move him to, to safety and he has that type of success, born two guys, which are two of the best at that position but uh you look over 16 game season you win 14 14 games out of 16 that's that's a pretty good uh, grade you missed two two answers on the test i i'll take that all day long so um i think that's the thing that people underestimate and i think the other thing is uh people normally uh, fall in love with certain players uh in college and this and that they think they fit and if the team doesn't necessarily take who they want they might not say well this guy is not as good as in this and that and you can't possibly watch everyone but even if they don't take the guy that you want just support them and just say hey let's just see how it works out um even with with, with chris Greer and coach Flores, if you kind of look at the track record so far they've been stuff they've done i've given them an eight every year as far as the way they're doing it's the way way they're building this team, so um, we're headed in the right directions. And like you said, you just got to be patient. You can't build a team all in one year, but we're definitely headed in the right direction. So um, right. just and, and be I, patient, trust the process.
0: And I and I don't even think it's possible to break a team down any more than this regime did. I mean, whenever I just think back to what we were doing, you know, two years ago from today, obviously start off the season, not in the, the way you want to, but man, I just think about how many guys that we just got rid of and we built this, or we, you know, uh, we, Chris Greer and Brian Flores, they they built this team themselves from the ground up the way they wanted to. And, you know, when I just look at that, I just, I got to give, you know, hats off to them. Cause that's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of balls to to be like, Hey, a lot of trust too in yourself and the guys around you to be like, let's build this thing up. We trust the coaches we have. We trust ourselves. Um, Let's go out there and let's build a team the way we want. And as someone who played um, for, you know, great coaches, especially the greatest uh, in my opinion of all time with Don Shula, what, what is it like as a player to play for a great coach, um, and what are some things that you see with Brian Flores, whether it's how guys respond to him? Are there any similarities, uh, that you see with Brian Flores, not necessarily to Don Shula, cause that's a insane comparison, but are there any similarities you see to what a good leader uh, and a good coach looks like?
1: Yeah, I think we found our coach and coach Flores, but it, you know, coach Shula was, um, you know, a dis- disciplinarian, um. And he really focused on, on on the little things, not doing things to beat yourself. And when I say that, I mean, uh, unnecessary penalties, uh, mental errors, which he always stressed, know what you do and on the play, this and that, and it gives you a better chance for success. And then also he taught to, to be, um, uh, as far as charity, philanthrop- philanthropists, he was that. And, you know, got us involved in, you know, giving back to people that's less fortunate in us and I think that's why he was able to make the transition even after coaching he had so many years in that, and then he started opening up the steakhouse and he was very successful in that but I think the same formula works It's just it just depends on you just carry it on and um, doesn't matter what you're doing but that was the model for success and you see the same thing with we with uh coach Flores you know you see how he interacts with his players and his players trust him. They bought into his system what he's doing. And I think he's a stand-up guy. And I think he looks them in the face and he tells them whether it's good or bad. And I think they respect him. So um, if you got a coach that's tough on you, this and that, and you know he's generally gonna shoot you straight and and be, you know, straight up with you, you'll respect him and you'll play hard for him. And I, I see those same qualities and coach floors that you know coach Shula had
0: yeah yeah we and we love to see that and that's something that's it's so apparent when you just watch games like you you see and i'm sure it was like this for shula where guys just love playing for him and it's not that you know he's best friends where he's like the the nicest guy and he's super easy in practice it's that you know as a player like this guy has my back he genuinely wants me to be good he wants us to be good um And, and, and it's very apparent, like when you watch guys play for him, uh, that they just, they, they, they love playing for him. They love, you know, come to work. Um, and, 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 and you want that no matter what job, if you're a football player, if you're a lawyer, whatever, you know, whatever job, when you come to work and, and you know that, you know, the people above you have your best interests in mind and you like doing what you do, it's, it's going to make your results on the field that much better.
1: I agree um and and like you said you, you can tell that guys bought in you can tell by the way if you listen to the majority of the guys that are interviewed and and everybody has the same thought process so it's unison throughout from that, you know general manager the owner all the way down to the, the lowest guy on the totem pole um on the team and throughout the organization um everybody's on the same page and i think not only guys that play in miami but other other guys that play for other teams even if they become a free agent they see what's happening down here and a lot of times um, if you have an option to possibly you know go join another team I think that's why you see a lot of free agents that really consider coming to Miami because they know we're building something special down here and it's not hard to see
0: right and and so I I, as I said I wanted to talk a little bit about Two, I don't want to spend much on because, you know, I wanted to talk a lot about your perspective on the team, um, because obviously you have such great insight. You played in the NFL, similar to how I said before about your thoughts on the offensive line. You got to play with great coach, great players around you. You got to play with, uh, you know, obviously the greatest uh, Dolphins quarterback to probably to most people uh, in Dan Marino, what do you see from Tua, you know, after year one? What do you like? What don't you like? And what's your confidence level in him uh, going forward in year two?
1: Well, I think this i think this year, I, I think he really, you know, he really worked hard to get back from that hemp injury. And I think he was healthy, but I don't know if he was completely healthy. Because even after you rehab and stuff, your body's got to get used to, to moving and, and reacting those fast-twist muscles and stuff, your body still goes through an adjustment, even though you say, okay, your your hip is fine, this and that. You got to kind of play your way back into it to where your body responds like it normally does. But um, just looking this off-season, it looks like he's put on weight. He's definitely been in the weight room more. And he looks more, his body structures, he looks more like uh, he's throwing a ball like when he was at Alabama. And I tell people all the time, if he doesn't um, get hurt, he's probably the first quarterback off the board, mm-hmm. you know, rather than Joe Burrow, uh, we wouldn't have him. So um, I'm, I'm looking for him to have a much better season. Not that he had a bad one last year, but when you feel and you're hundred percent and you've really had a chance to bulk up rather than just rehab, work on your, your uh, mechanics, footwork, you know, throwing, get your timing down with your receivers and stuff like that. I think he's gonna be. Um, I think he's gonna be much better. So I'm. I'm looking forward, and I could tell he's a guy that works really hard. And it was even before he got to the Dolphins. So I'm. I'm looking forward to to him having uh, a good year.
0: Yeah, and I've seen people say, you know, they 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 go out, and when he said, you know, I my hip feels ten times better, his trainer came out and said he was probably at sixty percent. You know, a bunch of people come out and they're like, well, Tua last year said. His hip was 100% and the coaches were ready to put him in. And I was like, there's a difference. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's a difference between being healthy enough to play and being 100%. Because, I mean, it's the NFL and I can promise you that you can attest to this. You, no one's healthy at the end of the season, but guys are still going out there and, and fighting. You know, obviously they want to fight for their team, their city that they're playing for. Uh, isn't there a difference between it's like Tua could have not been a hundred percent last year but still yeah, been enough to play
1: yeah I, I don't think he was a hundred percent and even if he wasn't I think the uh, I think the staff knew it and one thing you're not going to do is even if a guy isn't a hundred percent you're not going to go tell the media because once you tell the media everybody knows your opponent knows and everything so you basically put a target on the guy's back when you do that. And even when I played, there were guys that, you know, wouldn't be 100%. We wouldn't go out there and say, you know, well, Anthony is not, he's about 75% today, this and that. And so they say, oh, really? Well, that just gives them to say, okay, well, we're going to attack Anthony this way. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, don't, you don't give that information up. So uh, I, I definitely can believe that. But, um, you know, people sometimes hang – I no ain't on every word you say, but sometimes you got to look beyond it and say, well, you can't come out and say that because if you do, if the media knows, and you know, whoever you playing is going to know. So know. it's just a little common sense thing. That's all it is.
0: Yeah. And I say that too. I'm like when Tua was saying he's a hundred percent before the draft, like the the guy's trying to get drafted. What's he supposed to say? You know? Yeah. I'm uh it's not there yet. So whoever takes me, you're not going to get uh me at a hunt like that should be common sense obviously just had an injury but he's not going to go out there before the draft him and his agent and be like yeah we're not uh we're not doing well hips not at 100 percent." just for teams that you know possibly want to draft me like you again you have to apply common sense like they're not going to go out there and be 100 percent honest with us as as fans and in the media
1: right and, and even in the draft he, he wasn't 100 he was progressing but what you do is you have your doctors and your medical staff do your due diligence and, and look at x-rays, MRIs, and they say, well, if this continues to heal, he should be okay. And I think that's, they felt confident enough in whatever the medical staff, you know, told them that he might not be ready when training camp to start the, start of the season, but he will get healthy and he'll be okay. So, um that's the way sometimes you look at it because like I said, it was a major injury and for him to get back and work as hard as he did to get back as quick as he did. I, I say hats off to him.
0: Yes, for sure. Okay. So last thing I wanted to do, I want to ask you three quick questions just about, again, your time in the NFL. Um, three quick questions. One, what was your favorite memory in your time in the NFL? I know that's probably, it might be hard. Cause there's so many. Uh, two, if you have a funny story for us, whether it's you know playing against a team or in practice or maybe off the field with a guy, uh, and three, as an offensive tackle, you went against a lot of great defensive linemen, uh, whether it was on the Dolphins or on other teams. Who was the hard, hardest guy for you to defend? So first, favorite memory in the NFL.
1: I think the favorite memory was um, being a part of uh, Coach Shu winning, becoming a winning head coach. I can remember we were playing – on the road in Philadelphia and we won the game. And then the ironic thing about that was, I think Doug Peterson finished the game at quarterback. And then, you know, when he was head coach at Philly, it was just kind of ironic. I'm like, you played, he was a quarterback that actually, you know, took the last snaps when we won that game. And then you become the head coach of that team. Mm. So I thought that that, that was pretty cool.
0: Okay, and uh, do you have a funny story? You know, again, it doesn't have to be on the field. It, it can be, but do you have, like, a funny story that you could, you know, tell fans about?
1: Yeah, I, I think the only thing that was kind of funny is just we, me and Keith Sims first got um, to Miami. I think we was going through mini camp and um, it was after a play of summer. We were in the huddle, and um, he comes up to us, and he said, hey, what's the um, – what's the most important thing you got to remember so you know we looking at each other like is it the playbook and he's like nope it's a snap count you know we're going through a list of things nope 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 so we're sitting there puzzled and uh he turns around he said the most important thing you got to remember is to protect me so we kind of laughed but <laughs> it was a joke but it wasn't, it wasn't a joke I right like, Bro, got you.
0: like laughing off but like seriously yeah yeah
1: (laughs) I think he did that to kind of just loosen the air you know what I'm saying because I mean we knew who we were blocking for but it was it was pretty funny but you get you get quiz from somebody like that and I'm like man we got to come up with the right answer we kept firing off stuff and we ran out of stuff and I was like (laughs) I just never thought of that but that that was pretty funny
0: does that happen a lot in, in like huddles, like where, you know, especially when it, if it comes from a quarterback or another player where even though it's, it's a game, like, you know, you have guys trying to, you know, not joke around the whole time, but, you know, keep it relaxed, not keep everyone so tense. Is that a very common thing to happen in the huddle?
1: Uh, probably more in practice, you know, once we're in the game, you know, dance, calling the plays, mm-hmm. if it's a timeout or something like that, maybe, you know, a quick little joke, but most of the time it's, it's, it's pretty serious unless it's a guy that's trash talking on the defense or something. Right. You know, you might go back and forth with that guy, but, but most of the time in the huddle it's pretty serious. You can kind of get away with it every now and then practice, but for the most part, not all the time that happens.
0: Or maybe like at the end of the game, like if it's a kneel down or something, you might be like dapping each other up, like, hey, nice game, something like that. But, but for the most part, you know, it makes sense once it practice you know, you could get away with it, but when it comes game time, let's, let's put our game faces on and try to win this game. Okay. Uh, and la- last question, Um, you know, you played again at a very, very high, high level in the NFL at offensive tackle. So you must've seen a lot of, uh, you must've lined up against a lot, a lot of good people uh, you played, you know, towards the end of your uh, career. Well, it was actually about in the middle, you played against Jason Taylor on the dolphins, you know, one of the greatest dolphins defenders, in our, in our franchise history. So whether it was him or other guys who were some guys that, you know, gave you the most fits in the NFL and who was probably, if you had to put your money on the hardest guy you ever had to defend, who would it be?
1: For me, it would be Bruce Smith Um, playing that guy two, sometimes three times a year Hmm. um, by far. He was the toughest guy I had to play against, but in playing against him, that made me better because I knew it was going to be, you know, just 60 minutes of, you know, all out. You know, you was going to feel it after the game, this and that. But he was just that type of player that played the run just as well as he did the pass. Uh, Very smart player and was just relentless. He was going to continue to to come. Uh, He was going all the way to the whistle. I mean, he was going to maximize. So for me, that was Bruce Smith.
0: Awesome, man. Well, that's about it for the podcast. You know, I really appreciate you coming on as well as all the listeners. Uh, We really appreciate you coming on um, and everything you do in Dolphins community. You're very uh, active and engaged. And, you know, to get that uh, community with someone like you who, you know, played at such a high level in the NFL for the team that we love, the Miami Dolphins. Really appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you coming on and spending your time here.
1: Okay. Thanks for having me on the show. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks, man.
0: So there you have it, guys. There's my interview with Dolphins offensive tackle, former offensive tackle Richmond Webb. Uh, man, what a pleasure to be able to talk to him, uh, and and uh, you know, for him to to give us his time here on the Finn Sports Football Podcast meant a lot. And just you know, again, a lot of stuff that he talked about. You know, whether it was him talking about how you know you got to give these players time to adjust. His faith in. The offensive line and Tua and the coaching staff, you know, I, I, just, I say it on the podcast and, and maybe it's nice to hear it from a guy who played in the NFL, like just give, just give people patience, you know, whether it's Tua, the offensive line, like give people patience, uh, give people time to progress in the NFL. Not everyone is Richmond Webb who, you know, is just a baller from day one. That doesn't always happen. So... Uh, you know, obviously, it was it was great to have him here on the Fin Sports Football Podcast, and it wouldn't be uh, a Dolphins podcast. I mean, right now I am wearing my throwback hat. I'm wearing my throwback Dan Marino jersey. So, wouldn't be a Dolphins podcast where I have a guy who played under Coach Shula. It wouldn't be right if it if if I did not finish the podcast and send you guys off today with the Miami Dolphins fight song. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Richmond Webb. I'll see you guys next time here on the Finn Sports football podcast Fins up.